0: After a very long hiatus, the Spin It to Win It pod is back, and better than ever, and joining me on the other line, you might know him as AKA Yanny on Twitter, the wonderful David ganarella
1: How are you doing, sir? Good, good, and I'm just here to prove to all of our haters that they couldn't get rid of us that easy. I don't yeah. think we have, I don't think we're important enough to have haters yet, but... <sighs> One day we will, and they'll listen to this and know.
0: It, it was crazy. This semester has been a nightmare, uh, both at school and work and personal life. So it's like I had to put some things on the back burner. But we're back and better than ever. And we're talking about one of the weirdest prog rock albums. I guess you could call it i like the 70s Aquila by Jethro Toll. And to be completely transparent, I had not heard any of the songs except for one coming into this. And, and I got to say, like, I was never the biggest Jethro Toll fan. So when you said this is what we were doing, I was like, all right, let's, let's make it happen. And I listened to it several months ago and then i uh totally forgot to uh record with you because life sucks so
1: yeah it looks life's better now though now that we're back here doing this uh yeah this was my choice of an album i guess and my i will say i have been a pretty big fan of jethro tall uh going back to when i was super little um i had a cd that my dad had burned of just random songs and there was a section on that cd that was just jethro Hull stuff and it wasn't all aqualung and stuff from this album it was just a couple other songs but that was really my first exposure to it and yeah they just had a pretty big impact on me from my enjoyment of rock music um from musicianship like part of the reason i got into guitar is from jethro atoll so yeah this album is pretty significant for me and i am excited to hear your thoughts on it
0: i gotta say uh one of the things that always stuck out to me about jethro Tull is just like the musicianship as a whole well it's never been my like cup of tea when it comes to music every musician in this band is phenomenal like just from guitars to flute obviously and then the vocals some of the vocals in this are just set like some of the vocals just really stick out to me um almost has like an edge to his vocal style you know almost like he's kind of got this bluesy sound sometimes, but he's just got this vocal edge, some closing off of his vocal cords a little bit that really sticks out when he gets into some of these harder sections. I, But again, the thing that always stuck out to me was the flute whenever I was a, a young kid. Jethro Tull, I always remembered they were the flute band. Um, now... There are some other bands that I think are very famous for their flute playing. Um, The band uh, Focus, for example. Um, The song Hocus Pocus is very famous for having not only a flute solo, but also a yodeling solo. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen performed live. If you haven't watched the video of that, go check out Hocus Pocus by Focus performed live. It is so funny. I need those drugs in my day-to-day life. Like somebody bring me that so I can uh, get through my day of work. But uh, this album stuck out to me a little bit with, there's some stuff in here that like, reminded me of like some early Neil Young stuff where it was like very like Southern bluesy guitars, very calm, melodic lyrics. And then, you know, in complete, like, completely different styles with some of the other stuff. Some of it's, like, you know, upbeat blues with some jazz mixed in. Aqualung is, like, heavy metal piano at times. Like, I I don't even know really how to describe it, but the sound, the, the different sounds on this album definitely are one of the things that stick out a lot.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a culmination of so many different styles. And if you go and listen to some of Jeff Hotel's earlier works, you you get a lot of that blues influence early. Um, And this, I think, is an album where they definitely lean a little bit more into the prog elements. And like you said, there are so many different styles that this album encompasses that you can find songs on this album and just put them all into, like, different categories. You have, like, just a classic kind of, like, hard rock song. You've got things I think are very just, like, the epitome of prog sounds. You've got these sort of calmer, gentle folk-ish tunes. Um, There's just so many different sounds going on that it makes it just a just an excellent album just overall i think it encompasses everything you'd want Like you get a full experience listening to this album every time
0: so interestingly enough i, I was when i was going through the show lists and the show notes and things like that i was like just trying to think of like what it is that really like sticks out with everything when it comes to this album. And I was looking at (sighs) the Wikipedia article for this. I don't think this album gets anywhere near enough credit for like just how many different things are on it. Um, But then I saw that Album 337 in the 500 greatest albums of all time from the Rolling Stone. And the fact the Rolling Stone even put this in there kind of surprised me. I was like, this is not um, something I imagined the Rolling Stone would have been super high on. Uh, just cause like it, its sales weren't great. There was really only one hit from the album that got substantial radio play. But then you look at all the other accolades. It's in the 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die book uh, that came out in 2005. It's in the Guitarist Magazine 2011 and the 20 greatest guitar solos of all time, ranked 20th overall. Top 100 greatest prog rock albums of all time, according to Prog Magazine in the UK. It is... So intriguing. And first off, I will say this, Martin Barr's solo in Aqualung, the actual song, is unbelievable. It's just... It is a transcendent level guitar solo. really is just one of the best uh, like just guitar solos that have been... They've been played. Uh, And then, of course, you throw in the other things that get attached to this album the artwork on it for example is phenomenal um you know depicting a very creepy old man which that's what this title song is about um it it really is like and again like i said earlier, it just to me it doesn't get the recognition it deserves from mass media just because of all the encapsulated genres and things so
1: yeah i think part of that too is just the fact that jethro Tull as a band has been around for so long is part of it where there are i think they put out over 20 albums um and people probably know they might know a couple songs but when you just got that large of a discography people i think will kind of get lost in that sometimes like, I just imagine the Beatles, if they had been making music for the past, like the past 40 years, like people would have been like, oh yeah, I know the old stuff, but they might not have had like that sustained impact. Whereas Jezartal, they were constantly putting out new stuff. So it's not reaching, it's not like they have like this one iconic album and then they stopped and people are kind of just keep going back to that one thing. Um and I definitely agree there's just so much excellent musicianship in this and once we get into the specific songs um, definitely want to talk about some of that but yeah I definitely agree it's a album that I think overall does not get the respect it deserves but the people who do appreciate it have just a deep appreciation for this album and the impact that Jethro Tull just had on music overall which was a big part of when they introduced the uh, Grammy for best hard rock or heavy metal performance the first year it went to Jethro Tull that wasn't necessarily because their album was you know the best hard rock album it was just you probably wouldn't have hard rock in the same shape and form as it was to the point where it could become a Grammy category if Jethro Tull wasn't out there playing these songs like "Locomotive Breath," like Aqualung, like all these other songs that they made during their time. And I know some people, some metal fans, that get really upset about that Grammy, but you know, got to give it to them sometimes.
0: Yeah. So this is the fourth studio album from the band Jethro Tull. um Released March 19th, 1971. It was the first one with Chrysalis Records, uh, the record label Chrysalis, uh, based out of the UK. One of the things with Chrysalis is that, you know, they kind of like would only do like one album projects. They would not sign people for extended amounts of times. So you'll see bands join and leave pretty frequently. Um, But you'll see, like, if you actually look through all the lists of the artists that have been there, Blondie's been on Chrysalis Records, and they've got a lot of these popular British groups. Um, You know, Joan Jett was there. Child's Play's been there. They get, like, all of these groups doing one, maybe two records in a five-year span, but then they let them all go to other different – to all the other different – recording companies and what they're known for is just putting out the hits so um, this certainly meets that criteria uh, if you think about Prague rock and then you know British rock as a whole uh, where this stands kind of the test of time with that
1: yeah one fun thing that happened between announcing we were doing this episode and recording it tonight is I was trolling through an auction website up here and actually came across a copy of this album, like one of the original, like an original copy, and went and picked it up. So now I have that. And I know I did that previously with the uh, Point of No Return episode. I had that one on vinyl, but I got to listen to this one on vinyl too, which was super cool just because I was, it felt like, one of those pieces in my collection that i really wanted because i love this album and now i have a copy of it i got a couple other uh tall albums as well i got like stand up um and some others like a little stack of them but yeah i was super excited i now have a copy of this and well once we get into the actual songs i'll talk a little bit about the- how
0: each one sounds
1: yeah a little bit well the big thing um i guess briefly so if you listen to aqualung you have that iconic opening riff and it happens twice on pretty much every recording if you're listening to the special edition but on the album the original album pressing it only plays once so you kind of get into the song a little bit faster which only caught me off guard because i'm so used to listening to the remaster version but after that i really enjoy the original i think it's that original vinyl still stands up um i do like the remaster but i think if you find that original i think it's great listening as well
0: i was looking actually through a stack of records at the local bookstore and the Aqualung, they had a sealed copy of it. And it was like, they had like $150 on it. And I was just like, that is absurd. But like, it's never been open. Like, that's such yeah. a piece of history. We're talking about an album that is just over 51 years old now. Um, and again, was <laughs> pretty popular as we're going to get into. Um, mm-hmm. So let's go talk about that. Let's talk about the overall popularity and reception. Now, the song Aqualung has had many a Karens pissed off about the lyrics over the years just strictly because of the nuance uh, and the, the, the bullshit of the lyrics. I don't care. I think it's a great song. And this is a great album. So let's let's talk about the popularity here. Number four. On the best albums the UK charts in 1971, number three in Australia, number 60 in Austria. It's like the only time it's you know we don't we don't ever really talk about Austria on here, but uh, we'll bring them up here. Uh, five in Germany, three in Norway, seven in Sweden, and seven in the US of A. And keep in mind, in the United States in 1971, there was a lot of really good albums released that year. Uh, you know, I, aside from this, we're talking about who, The Who Who's Next, Led Zeppelin IV, Tapestry by Carole King, Janis Joplin's Pearl album came out that year, Rod Stewart, Every Picture Tells a Story, LA Woman, The Doors, Black Sabbaths, Master of Reality. Yes, the Yes album. Love it to death, Alice Cooper. There are so many good albums that came out that year. And this was able to get album number seven in the top albums of that year. And I think for good reason. I mean, I just to throw that out there. Um, overall... I would have expected it to be more popular in Austria even, um, as some of their later albums would pick up in popularity while they fell off in other countries. Um, yeah, it truly did stick out to me, just like this kind of jump that they made in worldwide popularity. They were already kind of catching on in the United States with benefit, but then they made a jump and then their next two hit the album charts at number one. So. This kind of paved the way, I think, for Jeff Toll to kind of hit their stride in the United States, which, as this you know, album has aged so well, uh, I'm not surprised.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it definitely lives up to that standard, I think, as it goes. And... Yeah, absolutely. So many other good albums came out that year. This is actually, they were recording alongside Led Zeppelin while they were recording Led Zeppelin 4. So, like... Imagine being in that room. um, Yeah, that that studio. um, I remember listening to an interview with Ian Anderson and him mentioning that where they were recording was recently converted into a recording studio. I think it was an old cathedral or something. And... <clears throat> they got the larger room, and Let's Up and got like a smaller room, and they actually said just like the larger room made recording this album more difficult because of the sound balance and trying to get everything right. It was harder to capture everything that was going on. Uh, so, like even going through all those issues, being able to um, have this album turn out and become the i would say masterpiece i'm obviously a little biased but having this album come out the way it did and become (laughs) this like hard-hitting album standing out among that year that you've mentioned um is huge
0: and again it's one of those like albums where it's like if you don't listen to it top to bottom i don't think you can really grasp just how how big it really is like it's first off the remastered version is uh, over an hour long there's an interview at the end of it like but again this thing stands out as just how crazy prog rock really could have been and um, it really you know you had bands like yes uh, who is another just like really underrated band of the time. But without, without this album, I don't know if prog rock really catches on as much as it does in the United States.
1: Yeah, I think it's like definitely, I feel like prog rock sometimes is something you need to take in moderation. And this album does that well, where you break up the like super prog heavy songs in between you have like a little bit more calming relaxing pieces so then you can get back into it because I'm if you just had all of the sort of heavy hitters on this album back to back to back it would be it would be a lot I don't think they were ready for that in 71 it's not like when we were talking about something like nevermind where you have a, like a string of you have strings of songs on an album there's like hit you, back to back and back but in the 90s, that's something you'd be a little bit more okay with. Same thing with, like, Appetite for Destruction, but 1971, I think, with Jethro Tull trying to change up their sound a little bit from what they were before with this album, giving that break in between was really important so for them to be like, look, we want to try this new thing, but we can still do what we used to do. We just want to expand our sound rather than just get pinholed into something. Because I feel like if they had gone, if they just stayed kind of in their safe zone for this album, for their fourth album in a row, I think that they're going to end up being confined to that for basically their whole careers. And they definitely use this album as a breakout moment.
0: I think it's time we go a little bit of uh, song by song here, track by track. Um, and of course, it's... Let's start with the title song, "Aqua Lung." I think it's one of the most, I think I read something about it being one of the most sampled like rock tracks of all time, just strictly for its opening riff. And I find that so fascinating how not even 10 seconds of a of a track can, like it is one of the most distinguished guitar riffs of all time. Like it really is just like the opening of this is just, you hear the first couple of notes you know, um and there's several songs like that, but this one really sticks out to me. and again, the nature of the song itself it kinda again, it just kind of fascinates me how it, it just kind of fascinates me with like. You know, the flute solo in it, and then the guitar solo that just kind of brings the whole song together, and how there's so many different sections of the song. I feel like it's written in like five or six different sections and then just slapped together. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's another just really cool thing with this. You know, this group seems to be able to do so well, is just they're able to just take songs and write sections of them and then throw them together and say, all right, this is what we came up with.
1: Yeah, and this is definitely, like, and we were talking about how Jethro Tull isn't known quite as as well as some of the other bands around his time, but the intro to this song was an anchor band for Ron Burgundy's flute solo. Obviously, like, I think there's part of that with the whole idea of Ron Burgundy playing the flute, probably inspired by Ian Anderson being kind of like a madman on the stage but it is i remember the first time i watched anchor band and he played that i was like i know that song (laughs) like that was like the the coolest part of that movie um that's like something i can still remember like the first time i listened uh, first time i watched it
0: it's also in Um, rock band too and guitar hero warriors of rock like there's so many like different Pop culture references to this song, I I find that so funny. Um,
1: yeah. When you make it into rock band and Guitar Hero, then you know you've made it absolutely. as like a song, <laughs> like that. You are totally iconic status there. Um, but yeah, this was. I remember this song was one. That, this is like the first Rose Hall song I've really fell in love with. Um, it just gets you from the intro and when i was listening to this like the first time i was probably like six or seven so i did not understand the lyrics but um i just remember being like that is like the coolest that's like the coolest guitar thing i've ever heard in my life and the first guitar solo i ever learned was martin Barr's solo in aqualung um i remember just sitting in my room just with my like super cheap little Epiphone SG special and just trying to like bang out this guitar solo because like this is like the coolest guitar solo I've ever heard in my life.
0: (laughs) I Yeah, this song is fascinating to me and it really paves the way for the rest of the album. Like it, it sets up the musicianship and like gives you what to expect I think for the rest of the album going forward and to transition into this, the, the hard rock singing from Aqualung carries over into the next song in Cross-Eyed mm-hmm. Mary. Um, yeah. It's a very like angry, bluesy sounding voice. And the rest of the music around it adds, adds that as well. Um, with one of the best flute solos I think I have ever heard. Uh, I think that's what stuck out to me is like the first like five or six seconds of this flute solo were unbelievable around the two two thirty mark in the song. Um, it's just like it got me, you know. That's what got me hooked on this song. Um, but again, the the way that the, the style and the the lyrics of this one also keep keep going back to. Mm. Keep pointing back to Aqualung, and it's so funny
1: to me. Um, yeah, the it definitely feels like it starts off. The front half of this album is basically kind of it's making it's making like portraits. It's like character studies, essentially, of these different people. Like the song is all about Aqualung. You can get a very clear picture in your head of what this person looks like even if you haven't seen the album art and like when I listened to this I didn't have the album art when I saw the album art for the first time I'm like yeah that tracks like that is what I would imagine uh would look like and it definitely does a good job I think I know some people like the subject matter can be a little bit difficult for people to embrace when listening to the song kind of like the definitely like you know the fact that what he's doing but the important thing to remember is that he's not like they're not portraying him in any sort of sympathetic light really when it comes to that they're just like this is who this person is like this is this person's character like that is just there's not like a moral statement on that that's just they're just describing what they say. Um, and even when you get to the point where they're talking about, they have the little the little bridge interlude with where it is very acoustic, and they're trying to the like um, is just trying to like you know calm Aqualong down, like hey come with us, we'll help you, um, you know. Even then, you still like get the idea of like he doesn't want to be helped. Um, It's definitely like a little bit of social commentary when it comes to, um, you know, the issue of like, you know, poverty, homelessness, all these kind of issues. It brings up that picture and makes you think about like, you know, is this person um, like, why is this person in a situation in the sense of what can we do to actually like help them lift them out? Instead of just trying to be like, oh, hey, you know, we have, like, tea and cookies down at this place over here. You can get that. Like, how are we going to actively help get people out of the situation that they have ended up in?
0: It's funny to me. Like, I feel like this album is, like, a, a bard on a journey. hmm
1: You
0: know, <laughs> Whenever you're playing D and D with friends and you're the bard, I feel like this is this is the the album of music you're supposed to come up with while you're running running around the you know slaying dragons, and running through caves with your friends. Like this is it has some very folk music uh, built into this album, especially evident with uh, some of the slower songs. Like the next one, I, I find this fascinating how we go from like two very Heavy, like hard rock, sounding songs, and then we get to uh, "Cheap Day Return" and "Mother Goose," and it slows down. And "Mother Goose" sounds very Renaissance fair esque. Like we're out here having a grand grand time with each other, all of us contracting smallpox because somebody, you know, or contracting the plague, like that kind of thing. I just find it like it's so strange but like to go from to go from what we did with Cross-eyed Mary and then just basically using like flute and piano from the end of Cross-eyed Mary to get to Mother Goose with a filler song and cheap day return I think was an extremely effective way to transition throughout this album and they, they do this multiple times as we're going to talk
1: about yeah, um, I definitely just and um, we'll say a quick note on Cross-Eyed Mary uh, similar to Aqualung in the sense of like the band is not like trying to justify the character uh, or justify the actions of the characters in the song it's just supposed to be more of like a social commentary on society and like how society treats certain groups of people um, Chief Day Return for me when I was listening to it was like i mean I definitely as someone who like um has like had like you know family with like health issues and things like that the idea of like if you were like famous and like going to check on a family member and then the nurse just be like hey uh can i get your autograph uh it's just like the absurdity of it um it just like you're not wanting to be in that in that scenario you're not want to be you don't want to be a celebrity you just want to be like a family member who's coming to check on somebody and but it's hard to escape um and like just that like little introspective it definitely brings you out of the whole idea of aqualung and cross-eyed mary um it's kind of more of a sobering moment to then bring you back into something a little bit more fun with mother goose because mother goose is this like very happy song you're painting very vivid pictures of all these different characters um and it's like it's just super, it's just a super fun song like every time i listen to it i think it's just like you just like get like a little smile on your face and kind of like want to dance around a little bit because it's just super fun
0: yeah every time every time i listen to jethro it just it reminds me of the reminds me of the fourth Shrek movie. There's a scene where Stillskin hires the, the Piper um, and he just carries around this flute that controls witches and ogres and like geese and shit and it's so funny to me because like every time I hear a flute now on a rock album all I can think about is the Pied Piper. <laughs> playing jazz flute in the Shrek movie. It's uh, <laughs> so good. I I am intrigued with your thoughts about Wondering Aloud here. Again, one of the shorter songs of the album, kind of a transition. It has very battle of evermore vibes to me, like the Battle of Evermore Led Zeppelin song very soft kind of just like a filler almost but also still plays a very important part to build up to the rest of the album
1: yeah i think it's like for me when i listen to wondering aloud it gives me this feeling of a little bit of like james taylor or jim croce um like it's very like like kind of this like sweet poetic romantic like kind of like love story thing going on um, it definitely is a song like uh, when i was younger and like listening to aqua i'm like eh i'll skip this same thing with like cheap day of return it's like i, I don't want to listen to i don't want to listen to like acoustic guitar and weird like Pomy lyrics like i want the hard rock stuff give me the give me the good stuff Uh, now as a more mature music appreciator um i really like i like it um it definitely feels a bit more like a poem that just has been given music in the background uh but i think it still fits with the album a little bit where you're interspersing um these character studies with these little personal vignettes and what the i guess narrator or the individual is like thinking about their own life as they're talking about the, the absurdity of all these other people's lives
0: i it's really awesome to I me mean, just like all the transitions that we get in this album they all like every song just kind of plays into the next one you know Um, as we get to up to me, we get more auxiliary percussion, we get a little bit heavier again, and we get this voice that I can only describe as a more mature version of like the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins whose name is escaping me right now. Like it just sounds like... uh, Billy Billy Corgan, right? It sounds like a more mature Billy Corgan, like so.
1: <laughs> the um this one when I was listening to it, it's been a while since I listened to the whole album before I picked picked it for this. And this is one I definitely it was like a little bit underplayed for me in listening to it before. Um, and as I was listening to it, it was just so, it's so good. Um, the first thing that really stood out to me was just the instrumentation of it. The drums on this song or in the percussion is just so good. Clive Bunker absolutely killed it. Um, it's just got such a good rhythm to it. You just feel it like as you're going, Um, like it feels excellent in the whole landscape of the song. Secondly, I really appreciate the lyrics. Uh, I'm a big fan of like wordplay. So the fact that Ian Anderson kept rhyming up to me, but using different versions, like different turns of phrase, different like meanings of that phrase, to just keep rhyming it but it not feeling like repetitive because i know some people will definitely be definitely hate that when someone like rhymes a word with another with the same word it never feels for me in this song like he's is like up to me is rhyming with the same up to me it always feels like a different meaning of it and that's just like such a deep skill for lyrics to work like that uh just just love it <laughs> this song is definitely um one that as i've listened to this album more and more has grown on me
0: No, i agree and then and, and again this is i think this is why again i'm kind of pissed off at like you know how much people dislike prog rock for whatever reason because they're missing some very excellent very excellent music in the, the middle of this album. Um to me the next two tracks, my god and him forty-three, are the ones that people are missing out on the most. My god is a musical masterpiece. I want to hear this played by like a fucking orchestra. Like, it's just like, there's, there's so much going on. It goes from like this peaceful kind of quiet song and then about two minutes in, the hard rock picks up. And again, if the flute in the middle, that kind of bridges the song halfway through is phenomenal. And it closes out again, pretty hard. Uh, And again, you kind of get that bluesy sound mixed with the folk flute, mixed with this kind of absurd bass line. Uh, One of the first bass lines in this that just like popped to me.
1: Yeah, I think you definitely had it right. When you described this as like a masterpiece song it just feels like the most it feels like the most important song on the track which is kind of a little crazy to think about when you have aqualung on the album aqualung which already was huge like you start off the album with that but then starting off the b-side with this and like flipping the album like or flipping the vinyl over and hearing the intro to this I remember um, just going through that experience. Like, if you had just bought this album and you hadn't listened to it before, if you're listening to it the first time, you finish up, you finish listening to Up To Me. You have this first half of this album. um, You've got all these kind of more upbeat songs a little bit. You have some, like, darker topics on there. But it's still, like, you know, like, rock. You flip it over, and then you start with this, like, Very dramatic, just plucking of acoustic guitar. And then it builds and it builds and it builds. And you get to this point where it just feels so dramatic. And you're just building up to when the electric guitar comes in. And once that happens, it just everything releases. And it is just an awesome feeling. And definitely like still remember your first time hearing this song you're just like you feel it in your body like this is something special um the flute soloness is great um i love the chanting that happens as well because i mean this is it is like a riff on religion uh which a couple of the songs on this album definitely touch into we're going to talk about it more on the back half of the album because the second half of the album deals with religion a lot and god um, but definitely, just brings that brings me back to my music, my music history classes, learning about like all the different types of chant that would happen in the church, um, and the sort of playfulness between the flute and the chanting on the recording is just so well done and so intricate. Uh, it's just mind blowing to me how good the song is from start to finish. Like you said, absolute masterpiece.
0: And Hymn 43, the same thing. This one feels like I am in church, uh, kind of wrapping up the day, right? Like we're just wrapping up mass, whatever. Somebody's like, let's play this contemporary Christian song a little bit faster, a little bit of a, you know, kind of a soulful singing to start it off and the piano, the piano licks on this, phenomenal. I really appreciate this song and its existence. Again, having never heard it coming into the first listen here.
1: Yeah, it's, I love it. It's just like, and one thing that happens a lot on this album that definitely shows up in him 43 too, is just all these little short outbursts of like improvisation. Um, you really get starting on like Cross-Eyed Mary where you get like little guitar licks and stuff like Martin Barr will just have like a measure or two just to like wail a little bit do some nice, nice string bends um, and definitely him 43 has that you got like the little flute sections you got the piano like you said um, and it feels to me like Hymn 43 is just like this great sort of satirical piece, like talking about, like, this is like, it's a hymn in a sense, was it's like not quite the kind of hymn that you would think about in church. It's very much um, like talking about the issues of organized religion and sort of the fact of how Jesus has been co-opted, like the name of Jesus has been co-opted for just awful, heinous things that have happened throughout history, you get a little bit of that. And it's like, it gives you a little chance for self-reflection. It's like, okay, so is everything that the church tells me justified? Is like when people use religion to justify their actions, do we need to go deeper than that? Which definitely I think you should. You can't just rely on people to be like, oh yeah, you know, God told me to do this, whatever. Stuff like that. Um, definitely. Like this song is another one. It, if you just listen to it, and this was one of the two singles from this album, I can—I've never heard this song on the radio. But I would just imagine, like hearing this, uh, if they ever played it on like a radio station, I can imagine just like a pastor somewhere just like breaking the radio, like you're not listening to this rock music again. It'd be like footloose, <laughs> just be, like basically banning banning Jethro Tull from every radio station for heresy. Um well it, yeah, it definitely it. is
0: heresy, didn't you, didn't, didn't you know rock music? It's always been heresy. Uh I find this fascinating. Uh back when I was still working in radio, we had all of our singles tapes, and I bet you that song's somewhere in the, the, the confines of that radio station. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny to me because that's a very religious town that I was working in. But uh I wanna I wanna keep going here. Um Slipstream, to me, again, is kind of almost lullaby feeling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just like really soft, really quiet vocals. Little little strings in there. But the second most popular song, according to Spotify, for Jethro Tull is Locomotive Breath. And this is exactly what you would imagine a train with a flute player on it would sound like if it was running out of control. It's just gradually picking up speed, gradually getting more intense. And the flute player is adding random interjections throughout the entire song. And I love it. It's just, it's awesome.
1: Yeah. Looking under breath. Uh, the other single from his album is, um, I was reading, read a little bit of an interview, I believe it was Martin Barr talking about when they were recording the song, they could never get it to work as a group. So they actually had to record all the pieces like individually and then kind of bring it together as they went. So basically Ian Anderson just acted like a metronome on a drum set, just like laying down a basic beat. And then they slowly kind of like layered everything on top of that. And eventually, like, you know, Clyde Bunker added more percussion later, but E. Anderson had to, like, sit there and he's like, you know, I got, like, we have to do this right. Like, I have to do, like, we're starting from this. I'm doing this myself and then add your part later. Um, Yeah, I like definitely, I love the song. Um, Just the nice piano intro is very soft. And then once you get the, like, just gentle wail of Martin Barr's guitar in the background as the piano is starting to wind down on the intro. It's just so perfect how it then goes into the rest of the song. And it feels, it feels like you're on a train. Like you said, you just feel like it's just constant motion. Um, And yeah, it's just so good. Um, I know they mentioned the theme of the song apparently is about overpopulation which I think is interesting. Um, Very Malthusian of uh, Jeff to have a song about that. (laughs) But just like the whole idea of like the population is just going, it's just going to keep growing and never going to slow down. until we just like overpopulate the earth. Um, Interesting concepts. (laughs) Um, And then they bring God in at the end. It's like, oh yeah, I think God is the reason that this is happening, which (laughs) is that like is that like, you know, like God's just going to allow humanity to like populate itself into extinction or is it like something larger commentary on religion and the whole idea of like, you know, like, like fundamentalist religious people, like tending to like have larger families and like feeling they need to have lots of children. I don't know what they're, what angle they were going for with that exactly. Uh, but you know, you can interpret it however you want. It's definitely, um, I think this is like the more traditional rock song of the album with like a little bit of that blues influence. So makes sense that this one was picked as a single. Um and great, great, great flute solo. Um, I mean, there's so many on this album. I think this is probably like my favorite flute solo. Um and everything you pick listen. a
0: favorite one because they're all different. Yeah. You no, know, that's that's one of the things yeah. that's again that sticks out uh immensely with this. And,
1: and I, just, then you, uh, I just know every time I listen to this one I like whistle along with it in the car like,
0: oh, I, I can't whistle that quick I'm, I'm, I'm not that good um, <laughs> we get to the next song wind up and it is again it's one of those progressive songs that just like builds up um like a wind-up toy, you know, where it's like the first two minutes, kind of somber-sounding, You then you start to get the background band coming in, and then they kind of take over about the two-minute mark. So for a six-minute song, like the first minute and a half to two minutes, like, it's not a lot going on other than some really good vocal vocal work. But then the band comes in, and it really... It really sticks out. Um, this one, it talks me. Th- th- this one really kind of spoke to me. The lyrics for this song are very intense. They, they kind of go, they, they kind of are a lot to me. Um, so, <laughs> you know, stuff like with their God tucked underneath my arm, their half ass smiles and their book of rules. And I asked this God a question and he said, I'm not the kind you have to wind up on Sundays. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is. It... I wish this song would have came out today. And this could have been the new like anti-Republican anthem, you
1: know. Like...
0: <laughs> it's so awesome.
1: Definitely this one. This song resonates with me a lot um as someone who grew up in like various churches like pretty religious upbringing i would say um but not super like super 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 fundamentalist but just like you know going to church every sunday going to sunday school going to you know like wednesday prayer meetings all that stuff um it always felt like at a certain point it feels like you're going through the motions and you know like later on like i would get more involved doing worship teams and things like that and you would definitely see um see people who treated church like the way that the you know the singer views the headmaster and all those other people viewing the church where it's like okay i show up on sunday I do my like I say my prayers, I take communion, whatever it is, and I'm good for the week, and then I just like leave, go back, and come back. It's just like a wind up toy, like you know gets to Saturday night, it dies down, go to Sunday, wind it back up, I'm good for the week um and that always kind of bothered me um just an idea of like do i like is like a religious relationship that depended on meeting at an arbitrary time and it's like i don't believe that um definitely and this is kind of like turned into like a mini sermon i guess but it's just like i don't want to view a like if i'm going to be like follow a god or whatever i don't want to follow a goddess like you have to be here at this exact time or else you know there's consequences like that's not what religion should be about religion shouldn't be about the like foundation like the architecture of like church on earth it should be a more universal experience and i think that's what the song kind of plays to and is what i really enjoy about this album is where you can have you know these silly songs talking about like you know Running around talking about animals uh-huh. at the zoo, and then have the song talking about like the like entire state of organized religion, and it just feels like a natural progression. It's such a great culmination to this album, and the, especially the back half where you talk about all these different forms of religion people misusing um, religious iconography like Jesus to justify you know evil deeds. And it just works in this excellent way. And it's like, this is not like the current version of the church is not what, you know, God had in mind. And I just love that imagery. I think it's just like kind of piece, like it's aligns with my personal philosophy on it. So I guess that's why I like it so much. But like, I love the lyrics of the song. Uh, it just stands out so much.
0: And then we get to lick your fingers clean. Again, this this starts off, and it sounds like guys shouting at each other at a bar. Like, there's a bar pianist, and it's five or six dudes drunk off their ass, yelling at the bar pianist. Same thing, like, all the same message. Uh, And then the bar pianist is like, hey, let's turn this into a song. And it kind of rocks, man. I was super pleased with this. For for a song that, again, has very limited streams on Spotify. I think it's like second or third to last on the album. It's kind of a surprise. Because, again, everything from, you know, the lyrics and kind of what they're saying in the message to even the flute solo in it, I think, are phenomenal
1: yeah uh definitely it feels a little like this was like a um a bonus track that they put on the reissue um so not on the original version of the album but it definitely still feels like it fits and i think that was part of their reasoning for adding it to the like remastered version was the fact that this was like the best logical fit in their um discography for this song. It sounds like something that would fit alongside like Mother Goose as far as um, musicality. And then like it fits alongside like the first half of the album from a musical standpoint. And then I think the lyrics and the subject matter really align with the second half. So you get the song that they recorded didn't quite make it onto the album. And now it gets a second chance to live here. And I think it's a really good fit. I think if you're gonna listen to this album, uh, definitely just treat this like a track. I wish that it is a bonus track, so I don't know if they they can't really like insert it into another spot, which is unfortunate, because I really think you wanna end on a wind up. It is just such a strong conclusion to the album. But I do, I do like Lick Your Fingers Clean. Um, I just wish there was like space for it hunting the original recording i guess where they could have fitted in a little bit better but
0: let's go into awards shall we this is uh again something we haven't done in a while uh, I'm a little rusty in fact um we'll start with this what would you say are the best lyrics of any song on this album
1: oh uh i was actually thinking about this um i did a re-listen of the album the other day um and one lyric really stood out to me that i hadn't paid as much attention to before it said wind up um and it is uh i'd rather look around me compose a better song because that's the honest measure of my worth and for me that just stood out um It's just like kind of like a powerful lyric and it reminds me a lot of like other quotes I've had that I've used to like guide my personal philosophy on things. Um, Just like about how you measure success, um, how you measure your value to the world or society or however, you know, just like knowing where your worth lies and how to like improve it. I think is just huge. Because, um, you know, you get, like, one, one shot at life. So you want to make the most of it. And maximizing that, like, you know, writing a better song, putting your best work out into the world is super important. Uh, if I had, like, a runner-up, like, honorable mention lyric, um, this one isn't quite for impact, but just, like, I guess, aesthetically pleasing um, in Aqualung is salvation a la mode and a cup of tea, just that line always gets me um it's just so so nice (laughs) like i don't know this was a tough one
0: there's a first off i love the lyrics in aqua like i just i've always loved that song and i the lyrics after like hearing it hearing the lyrics with the song and reading the lyrics it's like i really love that but i think mine are going to come from him 43. Mm Uh, If Jesus saves, well, he'd better save himself from the glory, glory, from the gory glory seekers who use his name in death. Holy shit. If that doesn't talk about what is fucked up with the world of religion and politics in the United States, I don't know what does. Mm. Um, I, like I said, M43 is one of my favorites on this album. And the lyrics was what did it in for me. Like I, I, the lyrics in the whole song, fascinating. It really reads like a Shel Silverstein poem to me in my brain. Like I, mm-hmm. I imagine opening where the sidewalk ends and this is somehow inserted randomly in one of the pages. Um, obviously they wouldn't because he was not a very um, political poet, but this reads like a Shel Silverstein poem. So it adds like a whole extra like, layer to it. But now it's time to talk about the worst lyrics. And I had a lot harder of a time coming up with lyrics I didn't like because a lot of these are just, they either have so much internal meaning or they have so much like actual meaning or like they just work very well. So I'll start with you. What's your
1: worst lyrics? um hmm. i don't really have like a i don't know i'm trying to think um, i'll tell you
0: i'll i'll, I'll give you mine okay? okay and it's kind of my fault so for years i could not listen to Aqualung without hearing something that totally makes no sense so Uh, I actually like what I was thinking in my head was the actual lyrics. So it says, do you still remember December's foggy freeze in my mind? Every time I heard the song, I always heard December's fucking freeze. Ah. And I always thought if that's what the lyrics were hot, damn, that'd be awesome. Turns out it's not, but I was, I, because I've always misheard it and I got slightly disappointed that they weren't playing that on the radio. I'm giving it to that, even though I love the song, I find it awesome. But I wanted to say December's fucking face.
1: Um, let's see. Hmm, if I had to pick like one, it would probably be. It's tough. It's tough. It it really um, is. Because like I yeah it's i think it would probably be and it's one that i understand it was like one that messed me up when i was little i guess when i was listening like a lot um, but it's like when the flowers bloom like madness in the spring i was like that's i mean this is like you know me little eighth grade language arts like super snob You're like shouldn't it be Madness blooms like flowers in the spring. Like that one makes sense. It's obviously, it doesn't flow as well. Like just from like a song perspective, and you want to like you know, I think subvert expectations a little bit with that lyric. But I think that one just always stands out to me. Like even now, I get like a little like eh, it's a little it's a little weird. I guess that would be my my option. Sweet, sick. Let's go to the
0: most <clears throat> overplayed song on this album. And again, I sit here as we've done in the past. Is there an overplayed song on this album?
1: I mean I'm gonna say no, but you know we gotta we gotta make good got good podcast here. So we gotta choose one. Uh see I don't think we do. I think uh, okay. I think okay honestly
0: i don't think aqualung is overplayed i i honestly like that because that that's basically the only option mm-hmm. i don't hear aqualung enough to say it's overplayed like sure it's got 70 million streams on spotify but if you put that in the grand scheme of like prog rock and classic rock as a whole that's really not that that much and even like your oldies and classic rock stations, at least around here, don't play Aqualung at all. Like, yeah. So I don't think you have to say anything is overplayed. Uh, but if you if you want to give it to Aqualung, I would totally understand.
1: Um, if I was – that would have to be – I think if anything, it would be like – I would be saying it's just like overplayed, song is like overplayed relative to like the other songs on the album. And from that stance, it, yeah, it's just tough because obviously, you know, this is an album where most people like, as far as like mainstream knowledge goes, like people are gonna know Aqualung, they're gonna know "Locomotive Breath and they'll probably know Cross-Eyed Mary. Like those are obviously the top three most played. Um, And I don't know if Cross-eyed Mary is like significantly better of a song than the other out al- the other songs on this album that aren't played nearly as much. Um, so I think actually, like, yeah, there's just like it's tough when there's like three songs on here that are played so much more than everything else, and it's not hitting the same sort of like level of cliche as some of the other uh albums we've done where it's like this song is overplayed so yeah if we are okay with just not choosing one i'm just not gonna choose one
0: yeah i think i think i'm fine with that but now it's the hard part choose an underappreciated one. um the whole album i mean
1: like yeah there's a lot <laughs> if i had to pick one specific one for me it would be up to me um just cuz i think that's a song that could theoretically i think see like play on like a radio station i don't know it's like tough it doesn't quite fit into like you know the classic rock genre i guess but it's like it's short it's like got like a good length for a single um i think it's one that if people heard it they would really appreciate it and i think it's just a song that pe- most people don't know exists
0: I'm going to go with Hymn 43, mm-hmm. just solely because of the call and response with the flute and the guitar in the middle of it. I, I love that part. It's so awesome. Um, and, and the lyrics, again, I, I think are so powerful in this that it's just, it really, like, sticks out. And I think if I'm going to pick a honorable mention for this one, it's going to be Wind Up. I just think that... It, you know the song Six Minutes. It, it it is a six minute masterpiece of just like everything you want in a prog rock song. It like you didn't even throw my god in there. Like just like there's a lot of really underappreciated like masterpieces on this album. Um I think my god is the route you want to go if you want like the full the full prog rock experience though, for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: So we got three more words here worst song of the album or maybe the song that doesn't fit the most now we could just easily say it's the the song that gets added in the remastered if you want to add lick your fingers clean and say that's it I could see that I could hear that argument
1: I think mm, my choice no my choice will be Slipstream um mostly because i feel like slipstream felt more like it would have been okay on like the a side um so because like it definitely it breaks up the b side of the album a little bit but i think you have such a i think you have a strong conclusion on the b side if you wanted to kind of keep building up to that point you could definitely do that um and Slipstream just feels like a lot closer to like Cheap Day Return, um, Wondering Aloud, obviously. Um, so I think it just might be like it's a little bit of a placement thing for me. Um, it feels, yeah, it just feels out of place on the B side of this album, and I don't think it's bad. It just feels more just like similar to Cheap Day Return, Wondering Aloud, more just like poetry with. Um, musical accompaniment in the background.
0: I think I'm gonna agree with you. I don't like agreeing with you because, like, I obviously want to give people more, you know, clashing content. But slipstream kind of feels like it should just be the intro of one of the songs on the A side, Mm. uh, where it could have just been added in either at the beginning or the end of a song, and it would have been perfectly fine um rush had a tendency to do this too where they just randomly add tracks that are a minute minute and a half long and they just that That could have just been an intro this is one of those where it's like this could have been an intro or it could have just been like mixed in with a song i think it would have been really good but it it doesn't fit on the back half of the album because it this back half is so much about religion I think if there is a two-minute song you want to throw in here about, um, you know, why are religions always asking for money? Something like that Uh, make a lot of sense, but I'm going to agree with you. Slipstream does not fit in on, like I said, should just be an intro for another song. Here's another hard one. What is the best song of this album?
1: Uh, that is. Hmm. <sighs> <sighs> it's tough. Um. So, I think that it's like. <sighs> it's. I'm gonna say probably just from. Mm. it's tough i'm gonna say that it's my god but before i go into that i just want to give a moment extra moment of praise to aqualung and the fact that martin barr is probably one of the most underappreciated guitarists in rock history um just like he this the solo on aqualung i think We were just going based off like guitar solos, Aqualung by far. It's one of the best guitar solos of all time. Um, I will fight anyone on that. Um, It's just like simple. It's like simple to play. Like, I mean, I learned it when I was like probably 14 or 15, but it's got so much energy and power behind it. And that's really what comes through. It's like, and that's something that really appealed to me when I was younger is like for a while when I was playing guitar I wanted to be like I'm gonna like try to shred like Joe Satriani or Steve Vai and I did not have the coordination to do that or the patience to try to like learn that fast like and listening to Aqualong I was like okay I don't have to play 20 notes a second to be able to play a good solo and that's like Martin Barr also kind of helping get more into, like, you know, the blues, like, blues solos and learning more about blues guitarists, B.B. King, Buddy Guy, all those greats. So this was just, like, a huge impact on me when I was, like, a younger musician. Um, So I definitely want to give my respect to Aqualung. But I think overall, just, like, one song, just the epicness and the scale of My God, I think, is um definitely a song that like stands the test of time um still subject matter is like very relevant to today um i think you could just like modernize the song just a little bit and just like brand and like this is something you can still play in a concert today and people are going to enjoy mm-hmm. i
0: have thought about this I I don't know. I, part of me wants to pick my God. I really, I really do think like it's just like seven minutes of a lot. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's just there's so much going on. But it's all like the acoustic guitar at the beginning is so damn good. and the way it picks up, and in intensity. Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go to Mike Hud. I, I wanted to pick Aqualung, I really did. I I mean, for being like almost kind of the forgotten classic off this album, where it just doesn't see radio play anymore, god damn, it's still so good. Um, So yeah, I don't, man, it's tough. And really, there's a lot of good stuff on this album, and it, that's going to reflect in how good, good the great is from both of us. I think. uh I really like Mother Goose. I love how Mother Goose is just kind of this really silly, like, oh, I'm at a Renaissance fair kind of sound to it. I love that. I think it's awesome. So, I think there's a lot of just like badass songs on here. But I'm gonna go with My God again. It's just like. There's a choir in the middle with chanting. Like, there's just so much going on. It sounds like they're, you know, summoning a, you know, a demon to attack you in Dark Souls. (laughs) Like, I I, I fucking love it. It it is awesome. And, and again, it's just, like, and the flute adds so much to it, man. It really does. So, I yeah, I'm going to go with My God. I'm sure people wanted more discourse between our two picks here. but I think it's just so hard to argue. But now I've left everybody in suspense and I'm sure people are wondering, well, what are you going to do next time?
1: We got to grade it.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> well, before we do that, let's give out a grade.
1: We'd leave people even more suspense if we didn't do oh, a grade. Oh,
0: man, it'd be so awesome. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, let's give it a grade. I'm going to give it an A-. If you want to ask me what my grade was going to be, before I listen to the album, I would have guessed a C minus, but I'm going to give it an A minus.
1: Yeah. We have been pretty hard on prog rock on this podcast in the past. Um, I am, I am at like, Oh, it's tough. I don't want to be too biased. I'm going to give it like, I want to give it like a and a half, like not quite a plus. Um, like a a and a half plus i guess i don't know how to say it just like i think if slipstream
0: isn't on this album like if it's just like if slipstream or it's like slipstream is used as like an extension of cheap day return mm -hmm. or like just kind of mixed in with the top half of the album i think it like even improves more but like yeah it has the perfect opening. It has a perfect bridge piece with My God. And, and Wind Up is one of the best prog rock album conclusions that I can think of off the top of my head. It really is like, it, again, assuming we're cutting like Your Fingers Clean, it really does wrap up the front side of the album or the back side of the album perfectly. So,
1: Yeah, I think it's just like such a... It's an iconic album. It's something that like paved the way for the future of Jethro Tull. This obviously like if this album was not the way it was, we probably would not have gotten the past 50 years of Jethro Tull, which is crazy to think about that it's been over 50 years and they just put out an album like a month ago. Um, it's the lineup's a little bit different now. There was a um, there was an unfortunate split between Ian Anderson and Martin Barr, but um, they're still they're still releasing new songs in 2022. This band that started in the 60s, which is just incredible to think about. Um, and it's like having a career that spans that long is iconic. And it's like you know, think of the other bands that have been around like that like there aren't many and most of them are like household names um judge i think is not doesn't have that same level of recognition and it's just unfortunate i think that uh they definitely um i think a lot of people will probably only know them as oh that's the band that did aqualung or this is a band that beat metallica for the metal grammy And that's all they're gonna know. Uh, And there's just so much more than that. Um, If you like listen to this album, like before listening to this episode, um, if you're going to listen to it now that you've listened to the episode, whatever your thoughts are, I would definitely just go recommend listening to more of their stuff. Like, I'm giving this, I'm not quite giving this one an A, because personally, I don't think this is my favorite Jeff Rotal album Um, there are so many other excellent albums that they put out and you should experience it for yourself I guess is what I'll say just like it's a band you can immerse yourself into and just listen to a band evolve over decades it's awesome highly recommend Now it's time to talk
0: about <clears throat> now it's time to talk about next next episode <clears throat> and here we are and I have been thinking about this pretty much all day like do I want to go back to grunge do I want to put a new metal album maybe even go like hip hop rap something like that and then I remember that one of the concerts I was supposed to go see before COVID hit was Megadeth with special guest Scorpions. And I thought, you know what, let's do it. Scorpions love it for Sting, which has three of their biggest hits, a German rock band, going to be a lot of fun chat about this one. And uh, I'm super pumped. Only 38 minutes long. Not, not super long. You know, got nine songs on it, but three of their biggest hits definitely deserves the opportunity to be chatted about. But yeah, that's going to wrap it up, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure getting to uh, record with you yet again after... A decent hiatus and we'll uh hopefully keep our fans entertained with our discourse when uh, it comes to this when it comes to scorpions love it first thing and i gotta say man i wasn't super high on jethro tool coming in but i'm definitely going to be spending some more jethro tool in my free time um i was again not expecting to be super high on it so here we are and uh i guess i'm pretty pleased so
1: definitely i'm glad i could convert more people over to um well finally enough talking about all this religion stuff with the album the church of jesrothot um <laughs> like definitely yeah go check it out um and if you just like if you want to go listen to something if you like if you liked aqualung and you want to listen to more stuff like that i highly recommend stand up um that's another one of their early albums that came before this If you want to listen to like what they listen to sound like now, they just released an album called The Zealot Gene, which is different, but still really good. You get a much more mature voice from Ian Anderson, which is just crazy to think about that he's been singing for almost 60 years, but um, yeah, definitely go recommend those um, and we'll be, doing something completely different next week so' I'll be looking forward to that
0: yeah it's uh it is definitely like one of those crazy like <laughs> totally just like hit a wall with things um it feels really good to be back you know um so be on the lookout we'll have more content coming up and I know my my dad is super excited to listen to our thoughts on jethro Tools. that's one of his favorite Uh, groups from when he was growing up so without uh, further ado thanks so much for listening uh, wherever you are and supporting us through our long hiatus Uh, if you've been listening and checking out our previous content we we can't thank you enough for that and uh, it means a lot and uh, well yeah let's uh, get the ball rolling again so you guys can start hearing us once more